Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message.
We started our series called Positioned, and, um, and I mentioned how God spoke to my heart about um, uh, how we receive what he has for us has to be, has a lot to do with being rightly positioned before him. I shared that in virtually every sport, being in a right position is incredibly important. In fact, being positioned in sport is very important. There's a, there's a number of sports where the position or positioning that you assume uh, on the field is incredibly important, including, you know, in, in the sport of, uh, of, in the world of racing. I know uh, we were talking about it after with, um, uh, uh, with someone that, unless you're Max Verstappen, that's a little different, although even today he didn't quite get to first position, even though he started 11th. Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, uh, but being rightly positioned is incredibly important. So I want to read that scripture that we read last week that's found in Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 1, and then we're going to jump from verse 1 to verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And so Second Chronicles 20 and verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Maronites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
tomorrow march down against them they will be climbing up the pass of Ziz you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel you will not have to fight this battle aren't you glad that we don't always have to fight all of our battles we don't we will not all, we will not have to fight this battle take up your positions stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem do not be afraid do not be discouraged go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you one more verse Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord I mentioned to you last week that Jehoshaphat is an example of being well positioned because he did a number of things right before the Lord. In fact, 2 Chronicles 17, 3-6 tells us that Jehoshaphat did a number of things. Like, for instance, he walked with God. The Bible says like King David did. Uh, the second thing he did, he did not consult with the Baals or the pagan gods of his age. Uh, the third thing he did, he sought God. In that same passage, it also says the fourth thing, that he followed God's commands rather than following Israel's practices. And Israel's practices, as you recall, I mentioned that in Israel they had erected a golden calf, actually two golden calves, at the opposite sides of the northern kingdom so that the, the king, King Jeroboam, that erected those uh, golden calves, actually commanded his people to go and worship the golden calves rather than going to the temple, which was the center of worship for the Jewish people and worship the true living God. And so God, because of the decisions and the commitments that Jehoshaphat made, he blessed and prospered Jehoshaphat greatly. And 2 Chronicles 17, again, just a few verses down from what uh, the scripture that I mentioned before, verses 10 to 13, we read that, first of all, the fear of God fell on all the nations. That means that they had peace, that they did not have to be in constant battle and war with, against other nations. But also he, King Jehoshaphat himself, he became a rich and powerful king. Because God blessed and honored the very things that he committed himself to. He also built cities. And at, the Bible says large amount of supplies. Everything that he needed was at his fingertips. And finally, he kept some very skilled soldiers, or I call them bodyguards, around him by his side to protect him and his environment. So Jehoshaphat was rightly positioned. And his story and his life can be an example to all of us of what we should do and how we should be dedicated, obedient, and committed to God. Because Jehoshaphat was, and that made a huge difference not only in his own life, but it made a big difference also in the nation of Israel and how God blessed the people of Israel. I mentioned to you last week briefly that positioning means to take one's stand or to station yourself, to occupy or to be situated. Now, when we talk about being rightly positioned, I believe that God empowers us. When we are rightly positioned, God elevates us to a place of divine supply and divine authority. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse, uh, I can't remember exactly the verse, but in chapter 2, Paul says this, that God has seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has seated us in a place of authority with Christ Jesus. That means that that is a rightful place of right position, a place of position, a place of supply. It's a place of authority. And that is what each and every one of us have. Now, being rightly positioned puts us in a proper condition to fulfill 
Not only these things that I'm talking about and how God wants to bless us, but if we end up fulfilling God's calling and purposes for our lives, it applies to virtually every single area of our lives as we place our trust in the Lord and we place ourselves in His hands. We are positioned so that in every place we go to and every person that we encounter and every situation that we live in, we can be a blessing to them and we can impact their lives. That means your family life is impacted by your positioning before God. That means that your work is impacted by your positioning before God. That means that your church is impacted by your positioning before God. Last week I mentioned two of these. I mentioned, I shared that identity and determination are key elements to our positioning with God. Today is a special day because today we are entering a new year in the Jewish calendar. It's called Rosh Hashanah. And so happy Rosh Hashanah to everyone. I believe, Kathy, you are of Jewish descent, so happy Rosh Hashanah to you and everyone else that is of Jewish descent. Now, I'm not a Jewish language or numerical expert. But I did some study about the year in which we're living in, in the Jewish calendar, which is year 5,784. And there's a very key spiritual significance that's wrapped around this number, 5,784, which has bearing on what I'm going to share with you. So allow me to take a little detour and take you through this number. The number five, or pronounced hey in Hebrew, often represents grace. It represents divine goodness, and occasionally it has also represented judgment or refinement from God. The number seven is the letter Zayin. And Zayin can symbolize completion which is reminiscent of the seventh day of creation, when God said, it's completed, rest. The number eight is a letter pronounced chet, chet. And it embodies new beginnings. It embodies transformation and the spirit of revival and renewal. And then the number four is a letter dalet, And Dalet can stand for doorways or foundations, and it also can represent the four corners of the earth, Dalet. So, He, Zayin, Chet, and Dalet. Now, as I looked at all of these numbers, here's what I felt the Lord speaking to me about, and I want to share that with you. I believe that that is meaningful for all of us. And I want to read it to you because I felt that the Lord was kind of like giving me the instructions to write it as I wrote it. So we are entering a day when God, by his grace, is continuing a shaking to his people. Why is that? Because he desires to bring his work to completion. Seven. The Bible confirms that the shaking removes what is not needed so that what remains will stand. That's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 27. And so as we embrace God's work of refinement in our lives, we enter into a time of renewal in God with new beginnings, new open doors, new divine appointments, and promises fulfilled. Can you say amen to that? Now, I've heard a number of prophetic voices and prophetic people during this beginning of uh, of Rosh Hashanah and the year 5,784 speaking of this being a year of open doors. And I agree. However, I want to caution us that not every open door that opens before you is a door of divine appointment. 
We need to be and we must be cautious which door we enter and remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit to guide us and guess what? Position us. Position us before the right door. That is why I said that these numbers have a bearing on the year that we're entering, the new Rosh Hashanah, the new year 5,784. And someone was telling me that the number 80, so the 80th decade of 84, actually represents the mouth. And so the year of the mouth, it's important that what we speak, what we say with our mouths, will either open or close doors before us. What you say about yourself, what we say about others, will either open or close doors for us and for them. It's significant to our message because in order to access that open door, we must be rightly positioned in front of the right door that God will open up for us. So today I want to share two additional areas of positioning that will help us, I believe, as we move forward. Number one, prayer. Prayer is positioning. Friends, prayer is a currency of the kingdom. When we decide to pray with each prayer, each whisper that we utter, each word that we say to the Father, we are making a deposit in the bank of heaven. The book of Revelation actually talks about the fact that God bottles up every tear that we pray. And so I encourage you, when you Humbly go to the Father and you are weeping in His presence. He is collecting all of your tears because His tears and your prayers are so precious to Him. When we pray, there's a transaction that takes place. You say, why a transaction? Because you see, prayer is not just a monologue of all of our needs and wants and desires. Prayer is a dialogue. It's a conversation between you and I and our Heavenly Father who so readily and quickly, the Bible says that He bends to hear our prayers. He listens to every word we say. Now prayer, it was so important in the life of Jesus and quite simply, friends, if we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we must be engaged not just in an occasional prayer, but in a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. I'm not talking about attending a prayer meeting at church. I'm not talking about coming once a month to seeking worship or seeking prayer as we do that. Pastor Sam puts that on and we get in our prayer room at the beginning of every, every first Wednesday of every month. We come together. We pray together. We pray together on Tuesday mornings. We pray together on Friday mornings. We pray together on Sunday because we believe that prayer is important. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making a commitment to talk to God. To talk to God. To have a conversation with Him. To share with Him our heart's desires. Our needs. Our resolve to serve Him. Our desire for engaging more with, with what He has for us and His plans and purposes. Our prayer to receive more of the fruit of the Spirit. Our prayer to be led by the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives. That's why we have designated and we have set aside these times and these opportunities for prayer. Because we believe in the power of prayer. And I know that you believe in the power of prayer. Now we've said it many times before and I'll say it again. You know, all of these environments that we have created on Tuesday morning, on Friday morning, and on Sundays, and then once a month as we come together, make it a point to, like, be at least one of them. One of them. 
One a month. One area, one specific time. Because it is so, friends, it is so important that we join our hearts together in unity and pray. Prayer moves the hand of God. It is the link between us and God. When we pray, we are laying hold of the promises of God for our lives. Prayer must become for each and every one of us, not just a passing thought, but our highest appeal. Our highest appeal. And can I encourage you, prayer is not what we have been taught, that you have to be on your knees and you have to be so fully, completely immersed in that moment of prayer and dedicated to that. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not undermining or underestimating that. But we all have busy lives. And so we must take and cherish every opportunity that we have. I know that I speak, speak with a number of you that are on the road often and you Take the, the time when you're on the road to listen to the word, maybe by uh, audio, and, uh, and, and you, you take your time to pray and seek the Lord. Do it. God hears you. He is leaning forward and hearing every word that you are speaking. It must become our highest appeal. Billy Graham said this. He said, true prayer is a way of life, not just for us. Or not just for use in case of emergency. Make it a habit. And when the need arises, you will be in practice. Isn't that true? Because oftentimes when life is grand and everything is going in the right uh, place and, and following in the right direction, we tend to just say, oh, well, God is so good and just everything is great. And so we take less time instead of spending actually more time and, and investing into that account in heaven, right? We, we actually spend less time praying, less time reading the word because we feel that we got God's favor and God's uh, approval of our lives. But you know what? It's the other way around. When everything is going well, that's the time when we need to deposit, make that investment. You know what? If you have a good job, that's the time to invest in your 401k. And you got a little extra room at the end of the year, you put that in there rather than paying taxes for it at the end of the year, right? Am I right? Any? Uh, all right. Thank you, guys. And you know what? When you have no job, what happens? You have less income, which is less of an opportunity for you to invest in that 401k. It works the same way spiritually. Invest in the things of God when you are doing well. And if you are doing better, invest more. That means that you give of yourself. You invest, you pray, you worship, you seek the Lord, you come together. We come together. These are the things that will cause our heavenly bank account to draw some interest. Corey Ten Boom put it this way. She put it in the form of a question. And I like this. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I'm going to let you think about that for a moment. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? God, help us. Because oftentimes, I, I tell you, it's a spare tire. When I'm so tired and busy and I'm running all over the place, it's more of a spare tire for me. And it's got to be the steering wheel. That Carrie Underwood, she was right when she's saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hand and everybody's hand. We need to trust the Lord, and we do that in prayer. Someone put it this way. If your day is hemmed, is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. And you know what? There's no better place for us than to start with prayer. Jesus did it. That's the very thing he did. Early in the morning, you read it through the Gospels all the time. Early in the morning, Jesus got away to the mountainside 
to pray, to commune with the Father. The Bible says that he never did anything unless the Father confirmed it. We are desperately in need to grow in our prayer life. So let me give you some biblical references about this so that you don't, know, think, you don't think that it's just my ideas. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. I love that proverb says, Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down. But here's a good word. It's the rest of the verse. He says a good word makes him glad. Right? Here's a good word. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants to hear your requests. He wants to hear your plea. He wants to hear your frustrations. He wants to hear, you know what, God can answer, can hand, uh, actually handle your anger and your anxiety and your whatever it is that you're going through. He can handle it. Because you know what, there's a verse 7 to this that I did not put down. But it says, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When we seize our own striving and we turn to God. That's, I'm paraphrasing this for you right now. Cease striving. Turn to God. And make your prayer. Pray to God. Talk to God. Speak to him. And when you do and when you will, his peace will flood your soul. Aren't you glad that God listens to us? 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything. I looked that up in the Greek, and I tell you, it's a powerful, powerful word. The word anything is the word anything. It literally means anything. Thing. According to his will. Okay, now that changes a little bit. It's anything according to his will. Oh, okay. He hears us. I want you to know that God hears you. You say, God hears me? God hears you. God hears you. Hey, do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and tell him, God hears you. Come on, go ahead. Tell him, God hears you. God hears you, brother. God hears your sister. God hears you, my dear friend. He hears you. And if we know that he hears us, whatever, there we go again, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. He's such a good God. No thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly, the Bible says. God is not interested in withholding anything from us. If we ask him according to his will, he will give it to us. Final scripture I want to share is Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever, there, that word again, whatever you ask for in what? Oh, there's prayer. There's prayer. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. It will be yours. Friends, prayer is not an optional course in God's school of discipleship. It's not. You know the prime, the prime symbol? What's the first one? A line that comes down from God to us. He comes down to us. We don't have to go. We do have to go up to him. But he is chosen to be the initiator of this relationship with the Father. Prayer. Our connection to God. It is number one. First and foremost. And if you have not taken prime. Jim will be at the end ready to. Um, scold you <laughs> kindly and gently as he always does 
it's mandatory, friends. We must pray. And I know that we live probably in a generation that is the busiest generation ever. But unless we make an intentional decision to stop and carve our time for Jesus, no one will do it for you or for me. It's your choice and my choice. I encourage you. I encourage you to make that choice and carve out time for Jesus. All right. The next thing I want to share real briefly is relationships. Not only prayer, but relationships are positioning. Now, we typically point out that we need to find time to fellowship with church families. And, of course, that is the case. I believe in that. But I want to ask you some questions today. I want you to open your heart to receive these questions and hear them out. Who are the people that you call friends in your life? Who do you do life? Not talking about just grabbing a cup of coffee every five months. Who do you do life with? Who holds us accountable? When you know that you got to talk to somebody to share some of your inner desires or secrets or things that you're going through who holds you and I accountable and are we challenging each other with those friends to actually follow Jesus it has really gotten quiet here in this Presbyterian church today who is challenging us to follow God who has a seat at the table of your life and my life and finally who is holding up your hands in battle when you're going through struggles these are important questions friends Because you know what, as I wrote them down, I challenged myself to think about the people in my life. And I started thinking, who is it that's holding my hands in battle? Who has a seat at the table of my heart? Who is challenging me to follow Jesus? Who am I challenging to follow Jesus? And so on and so forth. This is not, and I repeat, this is not a being a Christian versus non-Christian's friends situation. It's about influence. It's about partnership. And it's about who has access to your heart and my heart and who we trust. It's all about that. It's not about this distinction, the distinctions that we make. Well, I got to have Christian friends and I got to have non-Christian friends because I got to talk to God, which is right. But it's not the distinction thing. It is influence and partnership. The people in our lives, whether we like it or not, whether we actually see it or not, will influence us. And that is why I believe that under the anointing, Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25 encourages us, encourages every believer to persevere in their faith, to support one another in their Christian community and the context by the way the context of the book of Hebrews is suggesting to us that the writer of Hebrews addressing a community of early Christians who were facing various challenges in life including the temptation to abandon their faith and to abandon Christ and to return one group to their former Jewish traditions and the others to abandon the Christian community and drift away. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's consider that. Take note of that. Take a picture of the verse. Highlight it in your Bible. Print it out and put it somewhere. Because you know what? 
we need to consider how we are going to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, you understand the context that there was temptation to abandon the faith because of circumstances and, and issues that they were facing. How many of you know that we're living in similar days today? We need each other. That means I need you, you need me, you need the person behind you, in front of you, on the side of you. And that includes each and every one of us. And if we think that somehow we got it all together, that we have learned all the precepts of the Bible, and we read the Bible every day, and we have done so for the past 27 and a half years, and you're going to continue doing that for the next 27 and a half years until you're like old and gray, and you have learned every single verse that there is to learn in the Bible, which is great. But if we're not applying it, we need each other. Not giving up meeting together, and as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, friends, we are living in the last days. Last days. That means that Jesus will come back on a white horse, and he is going to come back to this earth, and we uh, absolutely must align ourselves with the mindset of his return and understanding that our days are limited. Look, I know that we all have things to do. I know that we will probably be in a hundred different places and rather than being here today. But you know what? We need each other. We need to worship together in community. We need to embrace each other in community. We need to spend this time together, not giving up meeting together because of the circumstances that the Christians at this age, in this age were experiencing, they have started drifting. And there is so much going on in our day and society nowadays, in our world, that it's easy to start drifting. He is saying, don't be alone. Don't be confused. Don't be derailed from your faith. And that is good for us today. We need to encourage one another. I recently heard of someone who read um, about something online. Get rid of all your possessions. Get rid of everything. Live as humbly and poorly as you can. There's so much garbage going on, friends. And if you assume all of the responsibility for your spiritual life all by yourself without checking with somebody, speak to your community leaders, speak to one of the pastors at church, speak to somebody that is more mature. If you have questions, don't do life alone. You are not alone. There's a story of this small town of two friends, Rachel and James. They were attending the same church, and, and they were like very strong and very passionate about their faith in God. But one summer, the town was in the path of a major storm, and they experienced a devastating flood that left many homes in ruins. Unfortunately, Rachel's home was one of them. It was severely impacted by the storm and the flood, and she felt very overwhelmed by the loss of her belongings and the damages in her house. Enter James, his friend and brother in Christ. He lived nearby, and he saw the devastation, and he saw everything that happened to the house, and so he immediately sprung into action. He rallied a bunch of church members, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to come together and assist Rachel in rebuilding her home. They worked tirelessly. 
They offered not only their time and their skill, but also their resources. Everything they had in order to bless this woman. You know, through their collective efforts, Rachel's house was restored. And it was even more beautiful than it ever was before. Friends, church family and relationships are important. And most of the times, those relationships will come to surface when we're going through the worst of times. Because it is during those times that we need one another more than ever. I know there are some of you that have experienced that firsthand in this church. There are quite a number of you that have seen God move in your life. I want you to know that as your church family, we are here for you. And whatever you may be going through, you don't ever have to do it alone. Because there's always somebody that will step up to the plate. And say, here I am. Friends, relationships are positioning. We need to engage in life-giving, authentic relationships. Which means that we lay aside the facade, the mask of everything is great. Everything is fantastic. I don't need anything. Don't come to me. I don't need to come and talk to you. No, we need each other. We lay aside our mask. We lay aside our pedigrees. You know what? I am nothing. I could have, you know, next to my name, all of these titles. What good will they do unless we humbly worked with each other as a family of God? We embrace our brokenness. We embrace the desire to come together and grow together and just allow God to work in our lives. That is the way that God will work in and through us to God's people. Now, let me close with this. As I prepared for this message, I really felt like the Lord gave me the next few words that I'm going to share with you, and I want to speak to them. Uh, I want to speak them to you prophetically as an encouragement to you. And I believe God gave me these words. We're living in days when God is bringing about a shift. It's a divine shift where all believers are being called into being rightly positioned. Now, if we embrace this shift, I believe that God will take us from surviving to thriving. Why? So that we can fulfill our calling and destiny. This shift will cause us to trust God in areas and in ways that we never thought possible. It will be a shift from operating in the flesh and our strength to godly reliance. It will produce unexpected excellence for the kingdom. From natural to supernatural. From immaturity to maturity. From dragging our feet and barely making it. To joyful and full living. Some of us have faced challenges, and we're still reeling from and wondering, what have we done to deserve that? But God is telling each of us today that those times when we felt that we were let down and we were out for the count were needed to bring us to the place, to the next level of growth, and to our next assignment. Can you say amen to that? I believe that that is for all of us, perhaps for some of us more poignantly, but it's for all of us. It's a shift. We need to embrace this shift. And I want you to know that as I heard the Spirit whisper these words into my heart, and I wrote them down humbly and presented them to you, I felt the weight of these words. I felt the weight because... It's not easy to embrace a shift and a change and a, and a transformation of what he wants to do for us and in us. That's why I truly believe that Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 is absolutely key. And it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we process, profess, sorry, for he who promised 
is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Aren't you glad that there is hope in Jesus? Come on, aren't you glad that there is hope in Jesus? There is hope in him. We don't have to do this thing alone. We have Jesus. We have each other. And that's all we need. God is faithful. He will guide us along the journey. He will strengthen us to bring us where he needs to bring us. But we must position ourselves to encounter his presence the way he wants us to encounter him. I'm thankful for the presence of Jesus. I'm thankful that I'm never alone. I'm thankful that through those battles that Keith was talking about, I don't have to go to battle by myself. I have brothers and sisters that will stand with me. And I want you to know that when you come and you share and you say, hey, I need prayer. I need an encouragement. I need someone to stand with me and believe God with me for what he wants to do. I want you to know that you are also not alone. We are standing with you. And the Holy Spirit is standing right there to guide you and strengthen you and give you what you need. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc Click on the Give button and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.